Our text for meditation this first Sunday in Lent is on our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. Hear the word of our Lord. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's no secret that I am a martial arts nerd. I love practicing it. I love learning about it. I love watching people engaged in combat sports, especially the more unique variations of the sports, like the early years of K1, sumo competitions, Cornish wrestling, and more. It's not that I love violence or anything dark like that. It's more about everything that goes into these sports. Martial arts are expressions of national character, and the competitions pit one man against another to compare each other's conditioning, training, wits, instincts, and culture one to another. There is no better expression of masculinity in sports than in combat sports, martial arts, provided the rules help prevent serious injury, and mutual respect is given between opponents. But it's one thing to appreciate these disciplines. It's quite another to engage in the competition yourself. Inside the martial arts studio, it is an enjoyable series of exercises, followed by some sparring to help 
acclimate your nerves to self-defense. In competition, though, it is an extremely taxing, high-stress, surreal experience. Your adrenaline spikes, and you have to make the decision of whether you want to quit, and regret quitting later on, or persevere. I have competed twice. The first time was in a grappling tournament. There isn't much to say about it, except that in the first round we rolled around senselessly, and in the second round my opponent threw me so hard that it felt like my lungs were about to pop out of my throat. I can't lie, I look back fondly on it, despite the crushing defeat. But when it came time for the next competition, that loss inspired me to be far more prepared. The second time it was not grappling, but a full contact kickboxing tournament. I spent four months preparing. For four months when I was not working on ministry, I was hitting the heavy bag, sparring, lifting weights, stretching, and maintaining a strict diet in addition to lots of study. There was something inside of me that needed to test myself this way. So I went all out to make sure I was ready. I needed to see if I could respond to high stress again, and not with a casual loss like the grappling event, but with something involving a great deal more pain and risk. To be frank, it was on my mind every day for those four months, so it was a little unhealthy in some ways, maybe in a lot of ways. On the day of the tournament, when everyone was warming up, uh, we were all in high spirits and feeling quite friendly. Sure, we all knew we were about to kick and punch and elbow and knee each other half to death, but while we stretched, it felt for a moment like none of that was going to happen. But when it was fight time, you could feel everyone's nerves as the whole arena went silent. The tournament started, and we all watched our fellow combatants go at it with a kind of somber respect for what everyone was going through. And when it was my time to stare down my opponent, it felt like an elephant was dancing on my heart. My breathing felt restricted, like breathing through a wet sponge. Now please understand, my opponent was twice my size. And though I had gotten to the point where I could maybe reasonably hold my own in a fight, seeing this mountain of a man introduced a tiny little voice in my head telling me to bow out and leave. If you saw how big this guy was, you might hear that little voice too, telling you to quit before it starts. But then it hit me. Well, okay, more like he hit me. The referee shouted, FIGHT! And my opponent immediately threw his fist into my stomach with a sledgehammer kind of force. The moment my abdomen tightened up and I absorbed the blow, I realized that this was now or never. I found my footing and started attacking back. What else would I do? I could quit or run away. But all that would win for me is shame over my cowardice, in addition to the physical pain I was feeling. I could put low effort in and just survive the ordeal, but then I would always wonder if that meant I was a paper tiger, unable to do what he says he can. 
By the grace of our Lord, I chose instead of these to give it my all. I threw hands and feet like it was going out of style. I blocked every attack I could and didn't think about how I would feel the day after. By the end of our fight, my leg was numb. I had almost broken my ankle. He blocked one of my kicks with his knee, and the injury kept me from continuing the competition. I was covered in bruises, and I was drenched in sweat. Now, the other guy was perfectly fine. To this day, I couldn't tell you how it ended up being a draw, as my opponent was clearly the better fighter. But however that happened, I will never regret taking on that challenge. It was 100% worth it for the lesson I learned that day. Now, this is not me blowing my horn, beloved. This is not me claiming to be some big tough guy. My performance was mediocre, and I paid for it by walking with a limp for the next two weeks. But it did teach me a valuable lesson. One that King David already knew that I wish I had learned far earlier. You see, I spent four long, grueling months training obsessively and working so hard to be ready for this fight, only to find out that no one is ever fully prepared. Mankind is severely limited. Our Lord created us in such a wondrous fashion for us to have all of these capabilities and powers of the mind and body, but our sin leaves us helpless. You and I will never be ready for the mugging. We will never be ready for the cancer diagnosis. We will never be ready for the report the school authorities give about our children or the layoff or any other problem that shows up suddenly, even if we had advanced notice. Not even four straight months. There is no such thing as being fully prepared and ensuring your own victory. If we think there is, then we are in sinful pride. Now, it is true that being prepared as much as you can is wise, but let us hear wisdom before deciding that it means it's up to us. King Solomon is eternally vindicated when he says in Proverbs 16 verse 1, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I believe he learned that lesson from his father, the man after God's own heart. Before he was a king, David was a shepherd boy with little to no combat experience. He had every reason to be as afraid as the rest of the armies of Israel, challenged to single combat by a man who was between seven and nine feet tall, and strong enough to wield a thirty-pound spear. Goliath stood decked out in the best armor that money could buy, specially made to fit his enormous frame. The thought of a young shepherd going in to fight this man on behalf of his nation looked about as ridiculous as a paraplegic entering the boxing ring to face Tyson Fury. But David the shepherd knew that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. David knew that he would never be prepared, that he and all Israel needed to be saved, and not with sword and spear, the tools of man. 
He knew that the battle is the Lord's, meaning that the outcome would be from on high rather than by his own will or King Saul's armor. He trusted in God to help him, and beloved, God delivered. We cannot underestimate how miraculous this event, Goliath's defeat, was. Verses 48 and 49 tell us that David was moving. Earlier in the chapter, in the fifth verse, it says that Goliath's helmet was made of bronze. His head was mostly protected. Anyone that has been in a fight can tell you that adrenaline spikes, so do not expect to aim well if you have to shoot at something. Armed with only his sling, David had an unwieldy weapon as well, something not quite as suited for ranged combat the way a gun or bow and arrow are. He had to generate swinging power with his sling, aim for a small spot on the giant's forehead while moving quickly, and hit him hard enough to knock him out before he had the chance to attack with that massive spear, all while adrenaline worked against his ability to focus. And it landed. Against all odds, the shot landed, the giant was down for the count, and David the shepherd became David the warrior as he drew Goliath's sword and slew him with it. Oh yes, beloved, this was against all odds, particularly because there is no probability in God's eyes. God knew exactly how this was going to turn out, and he decided to make this miracle happen in the sight of all Israel and all Philistines, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David, knowing that there was no way for him to ever be fully prepared, simply trusted in our Lord to grant him victory. Now why would you suppose God did this for David? Why would he, knowing that the battle is the Lord's, ensure victory for Israel that day. Certainly not on account of any righteousness of the Israelites themselves, as they had been only rebellious since entering the promised land. Certainly not for King Saul's sake. King Saul was a conflicted man who seemed to care only for what the people thought of him, not what God thought of him. Even David himself must have had some flesh-inspired motives, as earlier in the chapter the king had sent a bounty on Goliath's head, promising riches, freedom from taxation, and his daughter's hand in marriage. Beloved, God did this out of sheer grace for the man after his own heart. When David is referred to in this way as the man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14, it cannot mean that he was independently righteous, as we see from David's manifold sins that this is not the case. But David trusted in the Lord and earnestly desired to belong to God. This whole incident in our Old Testament reading for today shows us a picture of salvation. And before somebody accuses me of being a little too allegorical, what does King David say? The Lord saves not with sword and spear. So indeed, there is salvation in this text. They're being saved from their enemies, the Philistines, 
and they are not saved by man's power or by man's works. There's no way that by his own strength, David could have pulled off this excruciatingly improbable, unlikely victory. Yet our God, seeing David's faith in him, provided a victory. It is similar to all of those times in which our Lord Jesus tells people after he heals them of their wounds, their diseases, their blindness and deafness and paralysis, go your way, your faith has made you well. God sees the faith of David and sees that David, the shepherd boy, belongs to God in and through faith. So God is on the move. So too, in the life of the Christian, are we saved through faith alone. There is nothing we can do to pull off our own salvation. God must be the one that makes it happen, guiding everything towards our entrance through the gates of heaven. It must be by faith, or else all is lost as far as we are concerned. But does that mean that we rest on our laurels, beloved? Absolutely not. If this is indeed a picture of salvation, it is also a picture in very small miniature of the Christian life. We are told constantly, be on the move for God's victory is assured. David knew that God would be the one to decide the outcome of the battle. He knew that no amount of personal preparation would decide it on his own behalf. There is always human weakness involved that leaves it up to what appears to be chance. The only thing that David did to prepare was grab a few stones. But he trusted in God to grant him the victory and on account of that faith, God indeed granted him victory. But David still ran at the giant. He wanted to be a part of this victory. He still put that stone in the sling, and he still swung it as hard as he could in spite of his heart pounding like an elephant dancing on it, in spite the feeling of breathing through a sponge and the nerves and knowing that you could very well die, he still acted. And so too as Christians do we understand that though Christ has won the battle, Though in our baptisms we understand our sins are forgiven, the merits of Christ are applied to us, and we have heaven to look forward to, we have all good, all accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ, who took away all of the powers of sin, death, and the devil, nailing all of our debt to that cross. We understand that we still want to do good works. We say that the victory is assured. Why would we not then live this life aggressively? Why would we not then charge down our own hill and do as our Lord has commanded us to do? If he has assured us that he will take care of us, then nothing can stand against us, as St. Paul writes in the book of Romans. He's won the victory. We can act now. We, as believers, should be zealous for good works. 
We should be passionate about God's commandments, knowing that, yes, of course we are going to fail in sin, and yes, we are always going to go to confession with our tail between our legs, knowing that we have messed up, but we should nonetheless be passionate to please this God who has won everything for us on account of his son, Jesus Christ. Do not listen to the feeding tube Lutherans who tell you that the Christian life consists of nothing more than going to church and receiving the sacraments. Far be it from us to be a spiritual paralytic. To the contrary, even if you can't use your legs, you can still glorify God with prayer, with giving to those in need with speaking the truth, with honoring our father and mother, with teaching people rightly about the Lord, that his name may be glorified, living the active and aggressive Christian life, asserting that we as saints have been saved and ensured the victory by our Lord Jesus Christ, we may have the same kind of bravery in spite of all fear and nerves that David had when facing Goliath the giant. Remember, beloved, God is absolutely in control and he is absolutely sovereign. But he is absolutely sovereign for you, working in grace for your good. That when you decide to charge down that hill, when you decide to evangelize or give to somebody, or even lovingly confront a brother about their sin, you have the victory assured at the end of all things by our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of our Holy Father in heaven. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.